our new series on Sunday morning. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, a book of Ephesians chapter number one, book of Ephesians chapter one. I'm excited about going into this book. I've been wanting to get to Ephesians for a while, but every time I would start studying Ephesians, it's like God would put the brakes on for, for the last month. We have been studying uh, just other things. We went through the whole book of Acts in eight short years. We got through the book of Acts. It was really good. No, I'm kidding, but it was like seven months that took us to get through Acts. But uh, we're going to begin the book of Ephesians. And uh, so as we come to this book, uh, I tell you, I really enjoyed the last few things in the last month that we studied some things, uh, especially enjoyed our, our kind of our short series, if you would, studying the woman at the well and uh, how God uh, wants to get to not just our heart of salvation, but he wants to get to the heart of our hurt and the things in our life that hurt us that we protect away from and studying those things. And last week, looking at the idea of of why do we go through trials? Why do we go through temptations? And uh, we looked at the first part of the book of James, chapter number one, and uh, encourage you, if you ever want to listen to anything that's on there, whether it's a sermon that I've done, or I know on Sunday nights we're doing our series through Abraham, uh, Micah and Will are preaching as well with that. In fact, Brother Micah's preaching tonight. And I um, encourage you, if you can't come hear him there, but we have all those on the, on the website there, and you can listen to those. But um, as we come to Ephesians today, um, I really like this book, and the more I read about it, the more it makes me fall in love with Christ. Now, the book of Ephesians, just to give you an idea, um, Ephesians, to our knowledge, is probably the only church that we get to read about its beginning, the middle part of the life, and if you kind of feel like in Revelation 2 that they don't turn back to Christ, go back to their first love, you get to see kind of the ending of it. So you get to see a lot of really great things about it. But before we read here in just a moment, let's go to the Lord a word of prayer and let's ask him to bless us and be with us. Unto thee, O Lord, will I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not my enemies triumph over me. Lord, I know one of my biggest enemies in my life is myself. Lord, may I get out of the way. I thank you so much for being not just a God, but being the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no God like you. Lord, as the angels sang, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And Lord, we thank you for being holy. But Lord, we ask you for your help this morning because we're not. Lord, we struggle. And this morning, God, as we gather together in this place, I pray that you might Cleanse me of sin and self. Fill me with your spirit. I might say what you have for me to say. Ask God that you might even use me in spite of me this morning. And Lord, as we look at your word, I pray you'd open our eyes. We may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, I do pray for those working in the nursery and with the kids this morning. Lord, may those children, Lord, may you speak through your word. May the workers find favor and grace in the eyes of these children. Father, this morning, for the person here today that's hurting, we ask for your comfort. We ask for your encouragement. And Lord, if you desire to use us in that edification, God, may we be submit to your will in that. Lord, for the ones needing direction, Lord, those needing maybe even in their own life conviction, God, I pray you would just help us to be open and receptive, whatever you have for us. God, I thank you for the people that are here. Pray you might bless them. Lord, I pray you may work in us and on us that you might work through us. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Christ. Amen. 
As we come to the book of Ephesians, and you know me, I like history. I like those kind of things. So I'm just going to kind of give you a quick little idea of the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus, you can really read about it in the book of Acts, chapter number 18, kind of with Aquila and Priscilla. But really, when you get to chapter 19, you really kind of get the beginnings of this church at Ephesus. Uh, Paul actually goes there and spends, many people believe, between two and three years there in this city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a, is a mega city. It's, in fact, it's probably home to many, if not all, the Greek and Roman gods that they would serve. The main god they would serve is the goddess Diana. And many kind of immoral and, and things that are appropriate that were going on there in the city. But Paul, through his time there, was able to see many people come to faith in Christ. And it's a wonderful thing. But Paul is there for the two or three years. And then Paul goes away. And when he writes the book of Ephesians, it's what we call one of the prison epistles. By the word epistle just means letter. And the idea is this, is that he writes certain letters while he's in prison at Rome. And, and some of these letters are basically four uh, prison epistles. You have the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then you get the book of Philemon, or if you like to call it Philemon, whatever you like to call it there. But you get these four letters that Paul writes to these churches. And by the way, Colossae, Colossians, he not even been to the church of, uh, of Colossae. So it's kind of an interesting in itself understanding that. But when you come to the book of Ephesians, he's talking to a group of believers whom he was right there on the ground floor of when they come to faith in Christ. And Ephesians has kind of, you can break it up in the six chapters of Ephesians. You really can break it up into the first three chapters are all dealing with the gospel story or what God has done. And then you get to verse number one of chapter four and you get the transition. It says this, therefore, where therefore means because of or on because of what happened. And so because of what happened, now you go into the chapters four, five, and six, which deal with what? First three deal with the gospel story, what God has done, that leads us into chapters four, five, and six, which deal with this, what should be our story. Because what God has done, this is how we should live a life that's pleasing to God. I tell you, Ephesians is a book a lot of people go to. If you think about what, of course, if you're a parent in here, you have some of Ephesians memorized. You don't believe me? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You can probably quote that in English, Greek, Arabic, you know, any, whatever you want to quote it. You know, you got, you got all that. You read a lot in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of how the gospel story of what God has done should transform us and how we should live. If you're visiting with us, you have no need to fear. We will not get close to chapter 4 today, okay? It's the people that know me very well. In fact, I hope to get through what we're going to look through in chapter 1 today. But if I can stop for a moment and just tell you, as you divide up Ephesians into what God has done, the doctrine of who God is and, and salvation in the first chapters, and then you got over here how you should live. Can I tell you, there's a lot of Christians that are in danger of loving to study and have knowledge of the doctrines of God and Christ, but fail to live it out as it talks about in chapters 4, 5, and 6. But I also dare say there's people on the opposite side that are trying to live and trying to do everything that's right and we live shallow Christian lives when we neglect to understand truly the doctrine, the depth of the love of Christ in our lives. Now, Ephesians is one of those that it's going to be a book that you're going to have different opinions about. And can I tell you something? It's okay. It's good to struggle with what the Bible says because you know what it does? It sends us back to the book. And we're going to see some things here in just a moment. Um, and I'm going to read, and I know some of you are going to panic here in a moment. I'm going to read verses 3 through 14, okay, is what I'm going to read. So if you want to follow along there, 
But I want to tell you something here about verses 3 through 14 that we'll look at today. In the original language in the Greek, verses 3 through 14 are one long sentence. One long sentence. So some of you that are all about grammar, your OCD is going crazy because it's like a run-on of a run-on of a run-on of a run-on sentence. Some of you are like, Phil, I don't care about that. That's okay. I just know some people care a lot about English and all those wonderful things with that. Okay? But the idea here is you start in verse 3 of, cha of chapter 1 and go down through 14. You kind of get this snowball that really starts to go and just roll downhill and grow and grow and grow. But I want to encourage you in something as we read this. And I know I'm laying a little groundwork here and just bear with me. But as you read verses 3 through 14, I, I would encourage you to notice, maybe even underline the phrase, in Christ. That's the title of our sermon today, in Christ. And anytime you see in Christ and there are other pronouns for Christ, you may say in him or in whom. And, and just try to maybe kind of see how many times in this one long sentence you have that phrase in Christ. Okay, I'm going to read it. Let's read it together. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 it says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will verse 6 to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded or lavished towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who trusted, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession until the praise of his glory. Wow, that's quite a sentence, right? Well, a sentence right there. And what I want us to get to see here today is this. It's quite a picture of here what it means to be in Christ. In fact, if you notice it, this one sentence that's probably 12 verses, you probably estimate you read the phrase in Christ probably close to 10 times in that. Some of you are getting really scared right now. You're saying, Phil, does that mean you have 10 points? Can I tell you, between verses 3 through 14, it talks about in Christ, the blessings that we receive in Christ. There's a whole lot more than 10, but I had to cut it way back somewhere. So I don't have 10 points today, okay? All right, some of y'all just went, oh man, Crock-Pot's going to be in trouble. All right, but I want you to understand there's a lot more there than these different 10 times, and we're not going to go through all of them, okay, for sake of time because I don't want this to be the run-on sermon, okay, with that. But as we look here, that phrase in Christ is so important because I really think it's a better phrase than even the phrase Christian because the term Christian is, can be used in so many different ways today. It can be a cultural reference. It can even be a political identifier. All kinds of people, things, movements, ideologies are labeled Christian, which, are, which as we know, a lot of things that claim to be Christian aren't truly 
in Christ. And so the real question, I think, for us to ask ourselves is this, and this idea of getting started is the idea, if you call yourself a Christian, the real question is not a Christian, but are you today in Christ? Say, what do you mean? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 says, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That what I'm asking today is, I'm not asking you if you're a Christian, because that term is just so vague today. But I ask you this morning, are you in Christ? Do you have an active, living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? We like to say this around here. Salvation is not about religion. It's about a relationship. Having a relationship, not a knowledge of God, but having a knowledge and an active relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at some things here about this snowball, if you would, and we're going to fly through this, looking at the idea of what God says to you and to me in his word. Now, before I say that, if you're here, and whether you come to church all your life or whether you're visiting with us or whatever it is, if you're here and you're not in Christ, you don't know for sure you're saved or you're not saved, can I tell you right off the bat, thank you for being here. I am so glad that you're here. Because what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the idea of what it means to be in Christ and the blessings that are from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the blessings that come in that. And you say, well, Phil, aren't, I'm here, I'm not saved, but you know what? Aren't we all God's children? Well, in the area of creation, we are created in the image of God. But the Bible says because of our sin, that has separated us between God and from ourselves. In fact, if you die separated from God because of your sin that separated you from God, then as we've been studying Revelation in Sunday school, you'll face eternity under the wrath of God. But the wonderful thing is there's an escape. There's a salvation that's provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. And you today can believe and trust in Christ, as we'll see later in the passage. And you know what? You can become in Christ. So no longer do you have to be separated or far from him. But you can truly know what it means. is not to have the title or label Christian, but to truly know what it means to be in Christ. And we're going to see some things there in just a moment. And so we're going to spend this time together kind of looking in that. And I'll, I'll invite you just kind of as you're thinking about this and mulling over this, just to really open your heart to what we're going to look at today. But I want us to see what does it mean? What does God say about us being adopted or in Christ? You know, ultimately, I have three main things to say. One of them is this. You see the Trinity when you read verses uh, 3 through 14. You see blessings from the Father, and we'll read some of those. You're going to see blessings from the Son, and you're going to see blessings from the Holy Spirit. And the first one I want us to see today is this, is that these blessings, if we're in Christ, from God the Father. Okay, the first blessing we see here is this, is in verse number three, it's this idea of this, that God is what? The Father has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. First off, that the blessing from the Father is that he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Look in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all or every spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and then that wonderful phrase, in Christ. Now, in a sense, the next verses are going to explain these spiritual blessings that we, that we partake of, that we go in. And I know we want to get into those blessings. But just for a moment, I don't know if you read this. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just, just for a moment, before we really get into all the blessings there are of being a believer, just for a moment, I want you to think about that the one that created the world who hung the stars in the sky, that created us out of the dust of the ground, the one that gives us life. Can I better say it? The one that every single person that's walked the face of the earth has rebelled against. 
that says my way is better for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The creator of all the universe looks at you and me and says in Christ, I want to bless you with every blessing that I can give you. And I tell you, that's a humbling idea that the God of everything says, I want to bless you. By the way, isn't it just a cool blessing in a sense? A cool is the right word to say, to just say that you're saved. If I asked you today, what are some blessings we get of God? We can talk about peace of God. We can talk about joy. We can talk about all kinds of different things in life. But just think for a moment that the God is as blessed or thankful or how blessed we are of what? God the Father and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings is the idea of benefits. Can I tell you this morning, there are so many benefits there is to be in Christ. I love how it says in Psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And you've heard me say it. You're like, Phil, you said it so much, we can quote it. Good. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. How many days do I live my life without thanking God for every single benefit that comes from not being who I am, but by being in Christ? Every spiritual blessing. Some of you have seen this, probably all of you have seen this to some degree. It's not original with me. Uh, Dr. Sells uh, showed it, the idea of the gift box, if you remember that. I'd have that gold gift box, and it's a wonderful object lesson. And we've taken all these things out of this gift box, saying all these different things. You get eternal life. You get the key to every hard thing you face in life. You get the broken chain of sin. We list all these things that you can get. You can get God's will for your life, God's plan for your life, God's clean record book. And a lot of you remember those things that are in the box that represents and ultimately it's this we want all those things when jesus says this but the gift is christ when you're in christ you have access to all these things have you ever seen someone struggle with something and really realize they don't really understand the access they have to it i won't say the name but i think it's pretty funny there was a missionary one time who was down and i don't think nobody in here knows uh who this is so in case you think of somebody was down in Mexico, and he was driving this kind of really junky car, and it wasn't Dan Rogers, okay? I love Dan, but it's not Dan. For some of you, are like, it's Dan. And he was driving this kind of junky car, and then one day, his car wouldn't start. It wouldn't start, and he was so aggravated, you know, he's just like, man, you know, God, I'm out here, I'm doing this, and now here it is, my junky car won't even start. It won't work. And he finally left his car there, and he, and he left it there for like several days, and and then he had a, a friend that came to visit him, and then the friend came to visit him, and he's like, what's wrong with you? Why do I see you walking up down the road so much? He said, because my junkie car is broken down. It doesn't have any power. It's just not working anymore, and I don't have the ability to make this car run. He said, well, let me go look at it. And he says, well, pop the hood. And he said, okay, I'm looking at it. Why don't you get in there and turn the key when I tell you to? And he said, okay, turn the key. It cranked right up. He says, man, how did you do that? He said, all I did is that the cable just came loose from the, from the stub, from the stub there. He says, you had all the power was right there, but something just came loose. Something just separated from that. And that guy felt pretty stupid, which, by the way, I've probably been that guy many times in my life. I understand that. But I want you to understand in your life that if you're in Christ, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's given us every spiritual blessing, everything that we can do. I am so thankful how God blesses us. You know, and how do we use the term God bless you? Somebody sneezes, right? Someone sneezes, oh, God bless you. When someone, and it's kind of such a little meaning to a lot of us. But the reality for all of us who are in Christ Jesus is that this, understand this, if you're in Christ, you live every moment of every single day with complete access to every spiritual 
gift and blessing and benefit there is of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's at your disposal. Here's my problem. I like living life on my own. I like making it happen. I like being the one to fix things. I like being the one to make it happen. When the blessings and how to do it to get through those things are at our disposal, and by the way, we don't even have to sneeze to get them, like God bless you when someone says that. But we see that, and you say, Phil, could you be here a long time? We ain't, so we're going to keep going, okay? So God's blessed us. The Father's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And then secondly, we see this, is that you are adopted into God's family. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. It says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. What God's saying here is to all who are saved, to all of us who are adopted in Christ, what he says here in verse number four, he says, you have chosen before the foundation of the world. And let me tell you, there's a lot of deep theology that goes right here, a lot of depth right here, and we're not going to really swim around here a whole lot, just to be honest with you. But I will tell you this, sometimes people read these words and they go, ooh, chosen, ooh, predestination, ooh, what does this mean? Can I tell you something? The Bible does say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I know I referenced him already, Dr. Sells. But Dr. Sells taught me something a long time ago I thought was good. He says, in your Bible, what do you read about Christ? What does he say? He says, I am the door, right? He's salvation. And on the outside of the door, it says, whosoever will may come. But when you put your trust and faith in Christ and believe in Christ, as we'll see a little bit later here, when you go through the door of salvation, you turn around on the other side, it says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you before the foundation of the world. You say, Phil, I don't understand all that. Can I tell you something? I don't understand Ephesians 1, but I am sure glad it's in the Bible. I am sure glad that I know that Christ has saved me, and I don't have to save myself. I am glad of that. And you say, Phil, what do you mean here about this? And you say, there's a lot of questions and a lot of things I want to know in here. Can I just encourage you to receive this reality at face value? Let it drive you back to the word, what it says here. But what it says for all who are in Christ, God says in his word here. And I love this. It says, I have chosen you what? For the foundation of the world. Now get this for a moment. Not just before you were born, but before the world was even created, God was already planning your salvation. That's awesome. It's awesome to think God didn't think, oh, Phil's here now. I better start planning his salvation. It says, before the foundation of the world, before he created everything, he was already planning our adoption. He was already planning our salvation. And this kind of makes sense when you think about it, as it says in Scripture here, and talking about adoption. Because when does adoption begin? With a parent's initiative, not a child's desire. You ever thought about that? How does adoption happen? A parent has an initiative to take a child. It doesn't start with a child's desire. And, and can I tell you in understanding this, let, let me put it to you like this. Do you think God, before he ever said, let there be light, knew who would trust him and who wouldn't? Do you? No. Do you know what that means? Because I don't, and because you don't, that's why we go. That's why we tell. That's why we live. And that's why it says in Matthew that we let our light so shine before men that they may see, their, may see your good works and glorify whom? The Father which is in heaven. I thank God that I'm adopted. I thank God because I am a child, and I love you before in Christ. You are a child of sin. And because of salvation, 
God planned long before everything they were created to provide salvation for you. God's not right now trying to think of a way, how can I make this person get saved? Right now, it's already been planned in those things, okay? And like I said, a lot we'd go there, but then again, we'd be here a long, long time, okay? Thirdly, I want us to see this. How are we blessed by the Father? Beautiful phrase here. You are accepted. You are accepted. Look at the end of verse 4 again. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. By the way, that phrase, in the beloved there, is also referring to in Christ. Okay? So I like how it says there in this passage here. It says what? It says that you are accepted. Can I tell you, nobody in life likes being rejected. No one likes putting out friendship and that friendship being rejected to him. And because of our sin, and it separates us from God, I love how it says, to the praise and the glory of Christ, our salvation, our adoption, if you will, into the family of God. I tell you what the encouraging thing about it is, and that's why it starts, verse 6 says this, your salvation is to the praise and to the glory of his grace, because that's how he made us accepted. He's accepted us. Um, Let me say it like this. And by the way, isn't it very humbling to think when I stop and think who I am, now I can a lot, a lot of times think about all the good things I've done, and that doesn't take real long. <laughs> and I can think about who I really am when nobody's around. I can think about my past, who I was in my past. And I tell you, there's things about my past, I'll be honest with you, I hope nobody but God ever knows. Some of you are like, I'm going to Google Phil when I get, okay. You got a different issue, Okay. I'm so thankful that God knew my past before Christ. I'm so thankful that God knows that still how I walk away from him as a believer right now. And God knows how I'll probably still not please him in the future. And God says, I'm going to make him acceptable before me. It's kind of like this mentality. When Rachel and I got married back August 2nd, 1999, I'd say that because I can remember it, which is awesome. Because there may be a day I don't. Okay? I remember... The day we got married, I was probably about as nervous as humanly possible in that. And the day we got married, I remember seeing her and all the nerves and everything. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I was sick. I was making myself nauseous. I mean, all these things. And I start thinking about, man, hopefully you ain't bit off more than you can chew and taking care of things and being responsible. I mean, are you going to you, you be able to do all these things? But can I tell you something? The moment that I saw her, yeah, she's not perfect. Yeah, she probably has things in her past that she doesn't want anybody but God to know about, wants them to stay forgiven and stay there. Yeah, there may be things that weren't just everything perfectly in place. But when she stood there and I got to behold her, she was perfect. It's like the song we sang this morning. How beautiful. There could have been, she could have wore two different color shoes and I wouldn't have known. Did you wear two different colors? No, I'm kidding. I didn't. She didn't even wear shoes. Because when I saw her and I knew this covenant agreement that we we're about to make together, I didn't stop and think, well, you know, you probably lied in your past. You probably had a boyfriend in your past. You probably told somebody else that you've loved them in your past. 
you've probably done this and this and this and this in your past. No, I looked at her and all that past went away. And when I saw her, I saw perfect. I want you to get this. God the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is the groom. We are the bride. And because we're in Christ, he looks at us and says, perfect, beautiful. And that is so humbling. Because I know me. I know me before Christ. And trust me, I know who I am now. I know my shortcomings. I know my failures. And that's why I didn't want to run past what it says at the end of verse number four. When it says in him that we are in him, that what? That we should be what? Holy and blameless before him. Do you know because of salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, when we stand before him, he has accepted us. And by the way, he has made us. That's cool. That's a key phrase there. He has made us accepted because he has made us holy and blameless. He doesn't see any of our past. There's an old Southern Gospel song that says, Jesus buried my past. Sure glad he did. But may I say, you can take it a step further. Jesus didn't just bury my past. He annihilated my past. It's not even in the ground. It's gone. And that to think about the blessing of the Father is that you and I have been made accepted. And then when God looks at you as, as being a believer, seeing this, that he says, I look at you as holy. I look at you without blame. And how do I do that before Christ? The last two words of verse 4. In love. The love of Christ is greater than my past. The love of God, the love of the, of the Father is greater than who I was, who I am, and who I'll ever be that defies God and is unpleasing to God. Just like when we were standing there together the day we got married. You ever sometimes wonder? Probably a bad illustration. Okay, you ever sometimes wonder? If you're in here and you're married, if you knew then what you know now, would you still walk down the aisle and say, I do? You know what Jesus says? I say I do every day. Every day. Because he knows my past. He knows who I am. And he knows I bring nothing to the table. And he still says I do. Because he has made me. By the way, take that in. Because some of us grew up very legalistic. And very, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this to make God happy. It says in this verse 6, he hath made us. Not me made me. He hath made me acceptable. Because by the way, can I just encourage you as a believer? Or let me ask you this question. Are you tired as a believer? Doesn't it get tiring trying to make yourself holy? Trying to make yourself blameless before God? He's already done it. Now, I want to have that relationship right so I confess my sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us. Don't run out here saying, Phil said, hey, I'm perfect. I can run out here and sin all I want. Well, you probably got a real issue if you got a relationship with Christ anyway. Okay? All right? But we see here the idea that we are accepted. So we see the blessings from the Father. Secondly, we see this, the blessings from the Son. And the first blessing from the Son I see here begins in verse 7 is this idea, you are redeemed. Look in verse 7 and 8. It says here, in whom, there's that phrase again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Now stop there. A blessing of the Father, we see these things. Now the blessings that come in the part of the Trinity of the Son is that you 
are redeemed. By the way, in verse 8 where it says, wherein he hath abounded, that word there means to lavish. He's lavished grace on us. It's an extravagant term, meaning plentiful or meaning over the top. So when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it's saying by the grace of God in his forgiveness, he has lavished us. It's like it's too much. It's like it's almost ridiculous. How many of you remember growing up with that show, that British guy, Lives of the Rich and Famous? Do you remember that? I used to love watching that and hating those people. Hey, that's awesome. I hate them. I, I really had a hard time. It's, it, the show should have been called Thou Will Covet is probably what it should have been called. Because you see it. But this idea that how God's going to lavish you with love and forgiveness and grace in your life is kind of like the idea of two people living in a 72-bedroom house. Some of you are thinking, that would be the worst thing in the world, cleaning a 72-bedroom house. I know some of y'all are thinking that. Some of you are thinking, 72 bedrooms? I would like to see that. But the idea is this. It's out of control and it's crazy. And that is the grace in which God has lavished on us in his forgiveness. He has lavished. It's an abundance of that. Can I tell you the forgiveness of God when it comes to how he's lavished upon his people is crazy. And I want to talk to you just for a moment here. And this is one of the main things I want us to see today. And one of the main points, the idea of that we the blessings through the son is that you've been forgiven can i tell you when it comes to you being forgiven you've been forgiven in three ways if you're in christ one of those ways is this you are fully forgiven you are freely forgiven and you are forever forgiven you are fully freely and forever get forgiven in christ and we're going to look at that here in just a moment and the teaching here about the forgiveness and, and the idea of this you are fully forgiven there's a verse in romans chapter number eight I'll read to you chapter 8, verse number 1. Talking about how we in Christ, we are fully forgiven. The verse says this. There is therefore now no, what? Condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's no more condemnation. There's no more unforgiven sin. There's nothing that's going to cost you in your life that's going to make you die without Christ. Because when you're in Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, you have been fully forgiven. There, there's no more condemnation. There's no more. You're saying, Phil, that means you're not going to sin anymore? I'm going to sin pretty much a lot, okay? And, and while I'm alive, while I'm, a, while I'm awake, while I'm breathing in and out. But he's saying when it comes to us, we are fully forgiven. All your sins, you have no sin, past, present, or future, that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. And you've got to embrace that. Because God has saved us from the penalty of sin, but some of us walk around here as if we're still under it. He has fully forgiven us. He has fully forgiven us. When you think there's now, therefore, no condemnation, you are fully forgiven. And, and, and let me kind of explain this, especially for us church folk that go to church a whole lot. That means your salvation wasn't just a past event. He saved me when I was an eight-year-old boy. And can I tell you, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior as a 41-year-old boy still. That I am saved, and I am still being saved. I'm being uh, taken as far as in sanctification and the process of who Christ wants to make me. I'm glad my salvation wasn't a one-time event. God saved me then, and God is saving me every day. Because I am fully forgiven. Past, present, and future in that. He didn't just forgive your past sins. What I mean by this is he didn't forgive you your past sins and say, all right now, your present sins and struggles, it's up to you to conquer them. That's what full forgiveness is. Can you imagine the things that you struggle with in your life right now? God saying, I've already forgave you of your past. The rest of this is on you. 
I'd be in trouble. I'd be in a lot of trouble. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the grace and the constant full forgiveness that comes in our Lord Jesus Christ. He paid it for all. You're fully forgiven. But now we're fully forgiven, but we are freely forgiven. And we're going to see that more as we go through Ephesians, especially Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, because it says what? For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You are freely forgiven. You are freely forgiven. It means you cannot earn the forgiveness of God. And you need to understand this because this kind of is a little bit of a pressing uh, movement kind of today and what people call Christianity. But if you understand the word of God, there is no place for this idea. There's no place for it. He has fully and freely forgiven you. You are freely forgiven. You have it. You don't have to earn it. It's freely given you. But the other part of forgiveness we see is not only are we fully forgiven, not only are we freely forgiven, man, thank God we are forever forgiven. Aren't you glad that you're not going to just go to heaven for so many years? You know what I mean? Well, I got saved, but I was a pretty messed up person. So hopefully I'll get about 500 years. Man, Moses is going to be here a long time. No, no, no. Forever. Forgiven. And, and, and to understand this, and I want you to listen to me as I say this, because I think this is one of the things that, honestly, I don't believe a lot of believers believe. I really don't think a lot of believers believe that they are forgiven forever. Because here's the thing, and I need you to understand this. If you're here today and you're in Christ as a man, as a woman, as a teenager, but you're struggling still in sin, by the way, join the club. We all struggle with sin. People that think they don't struggle with sin have a pride issue that they're struggling with sin, okay? All right? But can I tell you something, how you're fully and freely but forever forgiven? You're struggling with sin. Can I tell you this? God does not regret saving you. God never regrets saving you. And I know I've been saying it a lot lately, but I think you need to get this and you need to put it in your mind forever. You are forever forgiven. You know why? Because God loves you right now, not some future better version of you. Many of us think that God loves me, but man, if I could just get back in church the way I should, if I could just clean up my mouth, if I could just do as better as I, if I, man, God would really love me then. Either we're forgiven or we're not. We're forgiven forever. And you think sometimes that God's watching you now and how you struggle now and how you stumble now and maybe he's regretting paying the price for your sin. Can I tell you, he never regrets saving you. But if I may dive in just a little bit further, if I can lean in on you, you want know the danger is when you start feeling like God's not in love with you now because of who you are as a believer? Can I give you, give you a lean in for a second? When you get to the point in life because you're saved but you know you're not where you're supposed to be, and God really can't love me who I am right now. Can I tell you something? You fall into the danger of pity, self-pity. And can I tell you, that's a sin by itself. May God rescue you from self-pity because he's already rescued your soul. You're the one jumping right back in it. It's like not knowing how to swim and being saved after, out of a 20-foot depth pool and because you feel bad, somebody saved you and you didn't know how to swim, you jump right back in the pool. It's the same thing. Save yourself from self-pity. None of us are probably going to walk around going, I think I've pretty much arrived as a believer. 
I, I would love to talk to you after the service, okay? All right, there's some things in Philippians we can really look to. But beware of self-pity. Man, God can't love me who I am right now. Can I tell you that God loves you exactly where you're at, but he loves you enough to not let you stay with you where you're at, to see you get victory over that struggle, to get victory over that sin, to get victory over that. And by the way, it's the whole idea of the promised land. When they went into the promised land, life didn't become easy for the Israelites. Guess what happened when they got the promised land? Time to go to war. Because there are giants in the land more than they've ever seen before. So because we're saved and on our way to heaven, we're not, we're not in heaven yet. We're in the promised land. That means you've got to fight and struggle today. Keep struggling. Keep fighting. Keep wrestling with those things because you have been forgiven in those things we see there. Man, I, I love to stay there for a long time, but the idea that when you feel self-pity, it makes you start doing works. And we've been talking about this a lot in Hebrews. Hebrews 9, 28 is really a great verse about this same idea. We're not going to look at it. But here's the idea. When you're in Christ and you start forgetting that you're forever forgiven and that you're not good enough, and that, you, that God can't love you, you know what you start doing? You start taking sacrifices and work and throwing them back on the altar. And God's like, wait a minute, Christ has already died. When it comes to your salvation, the altar's closed. He's done paid once and for all, thank God, once and for all, we are saved. And is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Offering shop is closed. We do good works because of our faith in Christ. We don't good, do good works because we want to get favor with God. We shouldn't do those things. And then another thing we see here in this, our time I know is gone just pretty much. But another blessing we see in the Son is this, is that we receive an inheritance, that we will receive an inheritance. I'll say it like that. Verse 11, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Can I tell you, as a believer, we have received an inheritance because now we have salvation. Now we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now we can have joy. Now we can have contentment. Now we can have all these things. But thank God that one day we're going to receive an inheritance, a building we've made by the hands of God. I go to prepare a place for you, man. That's awesome. The idea that we cannot just have joy here, but the inheritance that we will receive. Why? Because we have, what does it say in verse 12? For first who trusted in Christ. Christ saves us, but we have to trust in him. We have to trust in him. And then we see finally the blessings of the spirit. Blessings from the spirit. When we see the blessings of the spirit, the main thing I want us to see in this, and I'll kind of cut through some of my notes here. The blessings from the Spirit is that you are sealed by the Spirit for eternity. Look in verse 13 and 14. And whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The end of verse number 13 says, for those of us who are in Christ, what does it say? Who are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You know what he's saying here? He says, because we're in Christ, the Holy Spirit has sealed us. And so as the idea of being adopted in the family of God is this. God looks at us and says, they're mine. You ever, as a parent, sometimes hear about something going on and you wonder to yourself, is that my child? 
You ever think to yourself, I don't wonder. It is my child. It is. And then someone, bring, and they come in, and what do you say? They're mine. Over here. You ever sometimes want to go, I'm going to see how long I ride this bad thing out. Anybody's kid this is? I don't know what he's talking about. Mama. <laughs> I don't know why you call me mama. Here's the thing about this. Because we're in Christ, not because of how good you are for Christ. Get that. Christ looks at you, good, bad, and different, says, mine. They're sealed until the day of promise. What's that day of promise? To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. We are sealed. Aren't you thankful for that, that you don't have to seal yourself? That you are sealed by the for eternity for Christ that we belong to him that and God just screams they're mine they're mine they're mine every time you sin and just like Satan would go and accuse Job you know what God says to Satan he's mine and just how Satan accuses us the old accuser that says what does it say happens he says he looks and says they're mine yeah they're not perfect but I've made them holy they're without blame that one's mine that one's in Christ. Why? Because of what it says here in the verse. It says in verse number 13, what? In whom also, after that you believed. So if you're here today, and you're not a believer, you're not in Christ, can I tell you that God loves you more than you can ever fathom? There's more grace in Christ than there ever will be sin in you. Ever will be not just now. But can I tell you, the Bible says pretty plainly here in verse 13, you know who those are in Christ? Those who have trusted in him. And as it says in the middle of the verse, those who have what? Believed in him. That's where my faith is. I love the hymn. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. And the idea of understanding is this. You know why I'm in Christ today? It's because he saved me. But he saved me because I put my trust in him. I'm trusted in him. I know whom I believe, as a song would say here, as it talks about this. And can I tell you, how is all this possible? Why is all this possible? You read it several times in verse 6 and verse 12. Why would God do all this? Why all of these blessings from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Why all of this? The very end of verse 14. To the praise of his glory. You know why God saved you today? For his glory. You know why God has made you accepted? For his glory. You know why God's going to bestow on you every spiritual blessing there is in Christ? For his glory. Everything in life is for his glory. It's like the last verse in the book of Psalms. What? Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It's all for his glory. And I thank God for that. I thank God it's for that. And I, and I end with this thought. You say, Phil, I read this. And as you talked about, yeah, it's doctrine stuff. I may know some of this doctrine, you know, this, these different things here that are in Christ. Yeah, I get this. In a few months, there's going to be a time of the year that comes 
that a lot of people are going to hover around televisions on Saturdays. And you're going to sit there. And when your team, probably not my team, but when your team, sorry, Jerry. But when your team catches that touchdown pass, you're not going to think to yourself, hmm, did I joy in this? Did I have gladness in this? No, you're going to jump out of your chair. And you're not going to have to wonder if you have joy. It's going to be joy for you. And here's where God really needs to help us. The idea that you are in Christ, you shouldn't think about to yourself. Did I joy in this? It should make you leap out of your seat just like a guy catching a football. But see, we're messed up. We're messed up. And there's a reason the first three chapters, Paul says to the Ephesians, before I tell you how to live the Christian life, let me remind you what Christ has done in your life. And maybe today you need to go back and just remember what God has done to allow you to be in Christ. Because everybody in this room has joy in something. And when I read this and read this and read this, I tell you, I didn't want to preach it because there's just a lot of ways you can run here and get tied on stuff. But can I tell you, I can agree with Paul where he says, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath given us all spiritual blessings. He's not kept back to anything for us. If you're here today and you're not in Christ, can I tell you the invitation is this, come. Come to Christ. Don't come to church. Come to the one that can make you accepted in him. Being in him is a whole lot more important than being in a membership of a church. But ask yourself today, are you in Christ? Have you lost some of that joy if, you, if the answer is yes? Are there things in life that give us instant joy we don't have to think about? But when you stop and truly think about everything that God, everything God has blessed us with, it's crazy how much God has blessed us with for those that are in Christ. Let's stand together if you would. say we love people we say that we're loving but lord really we can't even fathom 